Hi, and welcome to Bookable Space, the audio literary salon. Author of Remembered, I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. I'm a writer, host, presenter, academic, and a reader. I love being read to. In each podcast episode, a writer will read to us and answer three questions. We might talk about how they developed the characters, the sense of place, why they wrote the book, something they learned through research, and more. Ultimately, through each episode, I hope to get to know each author a little more, and I hope that you do too. Each episode is about 30 minutes. You'll find the author's bio and a bit about the book below the episode. Thanks for joining in. Hi, I'm Yvonne Battlefelton, author of Remembered, and your host for today's episode of Bookable Space Audio Literary Podcast. In each episode, we get to talk to a writer about a book published sometime in the 2000s. The writers will read to us, share a bit of insight, and of course, tell us where we can buy or borrow the book. All of the books are available in the library and or available for you to buy online or off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space Audio Literary Podcast. Now today, we're joined by Linda C. Wisniewski. Linda is a former librarian and journalist. Her work has been published widely in literary magazines and anthologies. She's the author of a memoir, Off Kilter, A Woman's Journey to Peace with Scoliosis, Her Mother and Her Polish Heritage. Linda lives with her husband in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Now today, she'll be reading from the book. Where the Stork Flies. Now first, a bit about the book. Kat is at loose ends after her husband ditched her and their daughter followed suit. When a lost time traveler appears in her Pennsylvania kitchen, she grasps at the chance to give her life meaning by helping the woman find her way home. But a mysterious stranger insists they are together for a purpose. Slipping through a portal to an 1825 Polish village, Kat means her own ancestors and discovers how her own mistakes derailed her life. Can she bring her new understanding of forgiveness and unconditional love back to the present and heal her family before it's too late? Linda, your blurb makes me smile. Like everything about it, I'm just going, (laughs) oh my goodness, I need this book in my life. So first, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's such a delight to have you here. So before we get started with reading, I feel like I'm a bit, I'm, I'm nosy, like as a reader, I just always want to know more. So can you tell us a little bit about the book and what led you to write it? Okay, so the book itself was not supposed to be a time travel. I wanted to write a novel about my ancestry. And the reason I ha- it had to be a novel was because I wanted to write about someone I knew very little about. The inspiration for the book came at a family reunion where I was talking with my cousins and one of them had a family tree that she had made of my father's side of the family that um, she researched the people on the tree. And the earliest person there was a woman named Regina who was born in 1778 in Eastern Europe in what is now Poland. At the time, it was the Austrian Empire. And so we got to talking and we said, boy, what, what would she think of our lives today? Wouldn't she be amazed you know, how great women have it today in the 21st century. And here she's back in 1825. And boy, she, you know, probably would love to see what we're doing. And so I thought, I have to find out more about her. And of course, I couldn't, 
you know, there, there's when we research our ancestors, it's really hard to find out what they were like. You know, you get the names and the dates and but you don't get to find out if they were nice or nasty or what they what they felt like and how she felt about her life. So I couldn't let it go for some reason. So I decided I was going to write a novel. And if she was going to be in it and she was going to see my life, I was going to have to time travel her here. So that was how the book got started. As I was writing, I was writing in the first person because I'm a memoirist. By my first training, I wrote uh, and published my memoir. And I also teach memoir here in Pennsylvania. So I thought it would be easier. (laughs) I'm laughing. (laughs) Easier if I wrote it in the first person, at least limiting it to, to one point of view. And that was the point of view of Kat, the Pennsylvania librarian. And it turned out to be really her story more than the woman from 1825, whose name was Regina. Does that, is that uh, oh enough of an goodness. explanation? <laughs> it is. And I, I love that the inspiration was from like a family tree and what yeah. would that be like? And I'd love to hear more. Can we please have a reading? Sure. So I'm going to read from the very beginning of the book. This is from chapter one. The winter Regina arrived. I had a lot on my mind. My part-time job at the public library was going nowhere. My husband had left me over a crazy misunderstanding. And our 19-year-old daughter, who had always favored him, blamed me and followed him out the door. Lonely and confused by the turn my life had taken, I stumbled into the kitchen that morning and found the back door standing open, letting in a few flakes of snow. Ah, get a grip. I slammed the door closed. A whimper came from behind me. I whirled around to see an old woman in a long brown skirt, loose white blouse, and a muslin headscarf. She stood beside my kitchen table, shivering. A scream escaped my throat and then hers, both of us yelling like a crazy banshee duet. Who the hell are you? She jumped back, knocking over a chair. Celine, my old gray kitty, meowed loudly and ran from the room. What do you want? I shouted as she scuttled over to a corner, clutching a piece of cheese. Her wide eyes looked so terrified, I felt for a second as if I were the intruder, not she. Her face was wrinkled parchment, and her hair around the edges of her headscarf was gray. But her round cheeks, those small brown eyes above a long straight nose, I had seen them before, on my grandmother's face. A woman who raised me from the age of 10. A woman who had died over 30 years before. It was her, and not her. A queasy little wave traveled through my stomach. Who are you? I said again, my voice shaking. I wondered if she was some sort of hallucination brought on by lack of sleep. My hands groped for the back of a chair. She licked dry lips and held out both trembling hands, still clutching the cheese. Chaprashim pani, she pleaded. Prashami vibachits. A wash of pity flooded my heart. Her voice was soft and hoarse. And though I didn't understand her words, I knew their rhythm, the pattern of her sentence, the rise and fall and cadence. She spoke Polish like my babcha, and my mind responded with words from my childhood to ask what she was doing. The old woman's lips trembled. Pani mi vybaczyć, she whispered, and waved the cheese in her hand, still begging forgiveness as her gaze darted around the room as if she was expecting punishment to come from some corner. I didn't know how to say relax, it's okay. So I grabbed another phrase from my childhood, the one that meant hello. Jane Dobre, my name is Kat, Catherine. 
I pointed at my chest where my heart thumped a jagged rhythm. Katajina, she nodded and positioned her feet on the floor as if ready to run. Her iron grip on the big hunk of Jarlsberg told me she wouldn't give it up without a fight. I had to let her know I would never take it from her. I'm sorry, I said, softening my tone. I don't speak Polish very well. Do you speak English? Oh, Linda. <laughs> I love how human you made your character, how, how alive and how, just how vividly you captured that and took us through so many emotions in that opening. Thank you so much. Can I ask you about, so part of the book is set in Pennsylvania and mm -hmm. you live in Pennsylvania, like we were talking about. What did that setting, setting a book there, what did it make possible and or challenging? Well, I set it here because, as I said, I wanted to travel her, her into my life. And so the character Kat started as me, but quickly evolved into someone uh, much more complicated and with a lot more issues. So the easy part was the writing the scenes that were taking place here because I knew the places. And I had been to, for example, the Polish neighborhood in Port Richmond. I went on a food tour with the food critic from the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> so I knew all the good restaurants and bakeries down there. And so that, that part was fun and made it easy. And what was the second part of that question? Well, you about know, um, so I was wondering, were there any challenges to writing the about challenges. a place that you know? Yeah, sure. So, yes, um, you want to get it right, but... I think you always take some liberties, you know, with your art because it's fiction and we are writers and we're creative. So some of the challenges were making it real and accurate, but not to the point of making it boring. So, for example, I have a friend who wrote a, a mystery novel that takes place outside of Dorstown and she changed um, one of the intersections where an accident takes place and she got some questions and criticism, as you always do from readers that catch that kind of stuff. <laughs> but she, she had to explain, yeah, I know, but I wanted it to be this way. So some of my challenges were I didn't want people to be thrown, people who knew the area, I didn't want them to be thrown off by any mistakes that I, or intentional changes that I made, but I wanted to make it believable. I love that. And also love that it was, she started out as you. And then, yeah. like you said, quickly became another character and your reasons for <laughs> so that she would be more complicated and because right. she had more challenges. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is that like fictionalizing your life as a character? And when do you know it's time to let go and, you know, let your character yeah. be cat? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, because originally the book was more about Regina. And actually, the book was about three characters. <laughs> it was about Regina, Kat. And the translator that Kat hired to help them understand each other. But when I went to a, a workshop, I pitched it to an agent and she said, it sounds really good. Three, three women helping each other, but it's too many main characters. Just She said, make it one, write a trilogy. So that's what I'm doing. I'm actually working on the second book now, which is told in Regina's voice. But OK, I lost the question again. What? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think you've already answered. I just wanted to know what that was like for you to that whole oh, yeah. now this this character can't be me. It, it has to she has to have her own yeah. her yes. own character arch. Well, yeah, and you know, with novels, a lot of people do ask you how much you love that is your own life. Is Cat really you? Did you and you know, I have to say no, I did not have a fake affair in the library, although I was a librarian <laughs> and people recognize 
the library where I worked because I described it in the book. So, yeah, that, so, you know, part of I, I like to say I'm not cat, but I know how she felt. And I think as writers, we are always observing people and looking at how they handle different situations. So we know how people react when their parents abandon them or their husband leaves or their child leaves. We might know how it feels or we have heard from other people how it feels. So it's me and not me. You know, I mean, our our characters are always part of us that we love parts of our own lives that we take out and put Mm -hmm. in the book. Oh, thank you for that. Can we have another reading, please? Yes, you can. (laughs) This one is from, um, it's near the middle of the book, and it's from chapter 16. And they are having a hard time figuring out how to time travel Regina back where she belongs and where she wants to be. A very, very hard time. Kat gets in her own way a lot. So this is, uh, I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 16. Regina could not sit still. She stood and poked at my side with her finger. Feel okay? Take little rest. Go on internet for ideas. All right, just let me get centered here. I feel a little dizzy. I walked over to my corner altar, touched the purple cloth, and picked up a soft, flat stone. As always, its coolness soothed me as I stroked its surface with my thumb. Regina scurried upstairs and came back, carrying my laptop in front of her like a serving tray. Go on internet, please, need more ideas. I took it from her with a sigh and set it on the table. This time when I searched, a link at the bottom of the screen caught my attention. Marvels, Mechanics, and Mysteries of Life on Earth. Clicking on the title, I browsed through the strangest combination of subjects I had ever encountered online or in print. Aviation, contradictions, fantasy, spiritual beings, unicorns, and time slips. Hmm. Time slips could mean time travel. Regina leaned in closer and stared wide-eyed at the screen she could not read. Listen to this, I read aloud. Persons might travel through time by means of a portal. Okay, we got that. These places of extreme high energy exist all over the earth. To travel to the same portal at different times in history, one must find a place very similar to the place left behind. Regina's gaze went to my altar shelf on the wall. I pictured tiny wheels turning inside her head as she thought for several minutes in silence. Then she spoke. Altar in here, same idea as my shrine, yes? But Kasha backyard, not same as Mawawonka shrine, except grass and trees. After another minute, she threw her hands in the air. Ask people from big church, find, find porthole in those people's village. It's portal, not porthole, never mind. Even if she was picking up words from Love Boat reruns, she was on the right track. I didn't need to correct her every minute. Regina, the people we saw at the shrine don't live in a village. They live all over Bucks County in houses like this one. Where would I find a place that resembled her Malawonka? Wait a minute. I did indeed know of a place that just might fit the bill. It wasn't a village, but it was a close-knit community filled with Polish people, the Port Richmond neighborhood in Philadelphia. We took the quickest route to the city, straight down I-95. Regina covered her eyes with one hand and peeked between her fingers as cars and trucks whizzed by. She wore the garish red skirt and yellow tunic from our trip to the mall. While I drove, she whispered Shrento Mario and scrabbled in her skirt pocket for the crystal rosary from the shrine gift shop. 
She always seemed to direct her pleas to the Virgin. Maybe Regina was more of a feminist than she knew. I smiled to myself at the thought. My parallel parking skills were rusty, but I managed to jockey the car into a space on a side street off Allegheny Avenue, the main commercial thoroughfare. When I opened her door, Regina stepped onto the sidewalk, but immediately cowered against my car. Busy shoppers passed us by without a second glance. Why weren't we attracting stares the way we had in the mall? I looked around us. Mostly white people in blue-collar clothing, a fair number of older women in babushkas like Regina's, young men and women in jeans and t-shirts, tired-looking adult males in forgettable clothing. Don't be afraid. No one here will hurt you. Just then, a group of teenage boys shouldered us aside and continued down the sidewalk. Regina's hands flew to her chest. The boys crossed the street, laughing back at us. I was angry, but the dirty look I gave them was a waste of time. They weren't malicious, just young and arrogant. I looked around for a place to escape the crowd. Poor Regina. It sounds so touching. <laughs> there are so many just touching moments already. And it, it's, it, I think you do a really good job of making us think and imagine what, what is it like going to a new place. But then imagine not just going to a new place, but a new time and not wanting to be there, like wanting to be somewhere else. And yeah. it's just, I don't know. I just, I love that you're giving us something to think about, even as we're listening to you read it. And then certainly as we read it, the, the things that will be going through our minds as we're imagining it and picturing it. And also you're taking us through this emotional journey. I have just one more question to ask. And that is, what did you learn about yourself or your family or community through writing this book? Such a wonderful question. Don't you find that you always learn something from writing, Yvonne? I do. I do every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. So what I learned about myself was it really cleared up some things I, I was sort of already thinking about. Um, I grew up in the 1970s. I was as a young woman in the 1970s during the second wave of feminism. Um, and we had Gloria Steinem, Bella Abzug, and other people who were very vocal, strong women. And um, we learned, it, it, was a, it was a liberation, certainly. And we learned that we could go out there and bring home the bacon and fry it in the pan. <laughs> and <laughs> And unfortunately, I think a lot of us took ourselves very, very seriously and thought we had to do it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we had to be mothers, we had to be wives, we had to be sexy, we had to be business people, we had to, you know, wear a little, we, I don't know, you probably don't remember this because you're too young, but when young women were going out into the workforce, we had suits and we had these little bow ties, little floppy bow ties and, you know, briefcases and all that. And, you know, trying to look like men, I guess, um, like young executives. And I always felt that didn't quite fit, you know? And so I tried to, um, I, I, in the story, I tried to show that we need to look at who we are and who we want to be and not necessarily follow the crowd. And I, when I go back to that conversation at the family reunion with my female cousins, and we wanted to to show this woman how great we had it here in 21st century America. And I'm laughing because, you know, there, we used to have a lot of problems that Regina didn't have. One of them is figuring out what to do with our lives. You would think that was not a problem because we have so much freedom, but uh, sometimes it can be. We can drive, at least 
my peers and I drive ourselves a little nuts, you know, should I have the baby? Should I not? Should I quit the job? Should I not? Should I go for the leadership for the management position or should I stay where I am because I'm liking it better? So I learned about myself, not to necessarily do what you think other people want you to be. And I learned about my family, things, you know, about my culture, that women were valued in a different way than I thought was appropriate. But I think, you know, we all we all feel that in anybody who was born in the 20th century. So I learned good things about my culture. That was another thing I wanted to write about. Um, and I wrote about it some in my memoir. Growing up in Polish, uh, in a Polish neighborhood, there were some dichotomies. So, you know, Polish people were immigrants and they were kind of stupid and they got drunk a lot and they ate a lot of kielbasa. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and yeah. you know, I'm laughing at it now, but in a, when I was a kid, it was a little embarrassing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, when I grew up, I read about the Holocaust and I learned that the town where my grandfather was from was one of the worst anti-Semitic violent places in the, in World War II. It was just horrible what they did to the Jews. So I'm like, you know, that's, that's my grandfather's town. He wasn't there of course at the time, but that's my heritage too. So I learned that you have to look at the good, the bad and the ugly and maybe accept who you are and try to change the things you don't like. Oh, you know, I think that's a lesson that all of us need to learn. Before we say goodbye, can we ask for one more reading, please? And of course, (laughs) could you let us know where we can find the book? Okay, so you want me to do the reading first? Yes, please. Okay, so let's see. This is a scene from chapter 23. And this is um, takes place when they finally figure it out. And they finally travel back to 1825 Eastern Europe to this little village where Regina belongs and Kat is with her. It wasn't easy to sleep that first night. I'm sure I was the last person in the house to close my eyes. Pavel and Regina snored. Anna woke up crying several times and Regina and Monica got up to comfort her. I wanted to help but was too unsettled and unsure to move from my bed. Finally, exhaustion set in. The next thing I heard was Regina's voice a few feet away. When I sat up, I saw Monica's silhouette in the dim morning light as she went outside carrying the big pitcher. A snuffling noise came from behind the house, and I tiptoed to look out the window. A small goat and two sheep grazed behind a fence. A shaggy brown dog wandered across the yard and stopped before eight-year-old Sophia. I went out the door to join her. I asked her the dog's name in Polish. So far, so good. She tenderly stroked its brown fur. Piotr, she whispered without looking up. Behind me, I heard a masculine chuckle and turned to see her brother, Franciszek, a blonde boy of about seven. She gives the dog a boy's name. He laughed again and pointed at his sister. I didn't understand his exact words, but I got the meaning from his gesture. Sophia pushed her equally blonde hair behind one ear and stuck out her tongue at him. It's a good name, I said in Polish. I like it. Sophia put her hands to her hips and stuck out her chin. See, Franciszek, Connie says Piotr is a good name for a dog. Let's get some breakfast, I said, suddenly nervous about continuing in my halting Polish. I didn't want to start an argument my first morning here. Where's the kitchen? The kids stared at me round-eyed, then followed me back into the house. 
Regina sat on Anna's bed, brushing the child's hair. Her gentle rhythmic motions lulled Anna into a peaceful little smile, my smile. Even her hair was mine as a kid, blonde and fine. What was in that herbal drink her mother had given her? It had worked faster than my flu medicine back in the 21st century. She looked a lot better than the night before, her cheeks a light pink, her eyes clear. Thank you, I whispered to the universe. Matka Baska answers prayers, Regina said in Polish. How was it? I could understand her so well. A flash of heat came over me just before I smelled roses. I looked around for Yadviga. Was that a flash of green silk at the window? With a knowing look, Regina told me she believed healing Anna was a miracle from the Black Madonna. Would the tea have done the trick if someone else had made it? If Regina were still in Pennsylvania? I had no idea. I wished I had brought my goddess cards so I could consult them. Regina looked over at me. You were hungry after your long journey, she said with a grin. Relaxed and at home, her sense of humor had returned. And though I understood, mine was still somewhere back in the future. I pieced together some Polish words to say I wasn't hungry, and that Anna looked exactly like my kindergarten picture. And that I was extremely relieved she was better. Naprawda, she smiled. It was nice, she said. We all had the same DNA, so why not? I pulled her aside so I could speak English. She doesn't just look like me. It's like looking into my own face when I was small, and it's kind of scary. Regina patted my hand like the reassuring mother she was, now that she was back here in her own time and place. No worries, she whispered. I am scared in Doylestown, but you help me. Now I help you. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, Linda, what a treat. And um, so I know I'm looking forward to getting my hands on the book. Can you tell us where can we where can we find the book? Okay, so you can find the book. My favorite place is online through bookshop.org because they will connect you with your closest independent bookstore. And I believe very strongly in supporting them. If your independent bookstore doesn't have it, they can order it for you. You can order it. There are some libraries in this area that have it, and you might be able to get it through interlibrary loan. It's available on Kindle, so you can get it on Amazon online, either Kindle or in paperback. And let's see, I think that's that's about it. If you look at um, my website, which is lindawis.com, it has all my social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, if you would like to get in touch with me and follow me and Just let me know what you thought of the book. I would love to hear from readers and writers, especially other magical realism, time travel writers. Thank you so much for having me today, Yvonne. I really enjoyed our conversation. So did I. Thank you so much for saying yes. And for, of course, reading to us, for sharing the story and for being such a lovely guest. Thanks for listening to Bookable Space. If you don't already have the book and want to read more, buy it, borrow it from your local library, read it, and if you enjoy it, review it if you haven't already. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Bookable Space, the audio literary salon with your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. Follow me on Twitter at YBattlefelton, on Instagram on why I write Battlefelton for pictures, interview insights, and more.